If you will, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start there and then uh, work a, place, a few other places, but uh, starting there. Hopefully you had a, a good Christmas with family and or friends. Uh, just reflecting on not just the, the joy of having uh, what Christ has given us in himself as the baby in the manger, but also the joy of knowing forgiveness of sin and the joy of knowing uh, the peace that comes through Christ as well, and a good time with family as well. In Matthew chapter 2, it starts off this way. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, the tradition, obviously, is that the wise men came to the manger, right? Uh, that's the, the nativity scene that's always uh, shown but we know from Scripture that that didn't happen, both from what Luke, uh, Luke read, uh, Luke wrote that uh, Chris read this morning about how they went, after eight days, they went to, to have him circumcised, and they, offered, they were a poor family because they offered the poorest offering you could offer uh, when you're dedicating your firstborn son to the Lord. Um, they, they, so they came uh, from... Bethlehem to Jerusalem offer that and then they went back to Bethlehem and so when he says after Jesus was born he's not saying like a couple hours after he was born he's saying a few at least a few days if not weeks after Jesus was born um, the, the, the wise men came saying where is he who has been born king of the Jews for he saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, O you and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will, be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I, may, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now there's kind of an underlying subtext that we that the readers at the time would have gotten. But we, 2,000 years removed in history, we don't quite get this, the subtext that's here. When it talks about Jesus being born in the days of Herod the king. You see, yes, Herod was the king, but he wasn't just any king. 
He wasn't just a political appointee by Caesar. He was, he, he, he was not only, uh, he was from Edom, so he wasn't technically, he was kind of half Jew, half Edomite, and, and the Edomites and the Jews were often uh, against one another. But he was ruling over Jerusalem, ruling over this area, uh, because he had gained the favor of Rome, yes, but also because he was rich. In fact, most, most historians estimate that he was probably the richest man alive because he had invented an aphrodisiac that, uh, that only he knew the recipe to and those people that he would give it to. He, he, he had the, the, the intellectual property for it, so to speak, and it was sold all over the Roman Empire. And so not only was, so he was rich. I mean, we're talking Bill Gates, you know, Elon Musk level of, of riches here. He's, he's that level of rich. And not only that, but he's a builder. He, he built several palaces during his time. And he also built the temple that is in Jerusalem right now when Jesus is born. He's like, this is all of, all of these things. He's He's, he's, he, had, he had these huge stones. In fact, the Wailing Wall, you know, you see pictures of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. The stones that are the Wailing Wall were put there by Herod, this guy, okay? He's rich. He's powerful. He, he, uh, he had a, a group of Jews who you would think would be hating his rule in a sense, but there was actually a group of Jews called the Herodians that loved his rule, that wanted to emulate what he did. Because, because when you're rich and powerful and, and you've got grand things that you do, I mean, that's what kings do, right? They're rich, they're powerful, and they're grand. The one catch to Herod is that he was also paranoid. He viewed his power, his riches, as a house of cards that could at any moment fall apart. And he killed people to make sure he stayed in power. The the historian Josephus wrote, it would be better to be Herod's pig than Herod's child." because he killed many of his family members because he was threatened by their potential ability to replace him in his rule. Historians estimate that, that over three million people died during his rule. He was, again, you think, think Stalin, think Hitler, that style of paranoid, I'm going to eliminate anyone who is, even looks like a threat to my power. So you have Herod ruling, and then you have Jesus born in Herod's domain. And not only that, but these wise men, these magi from the east, show up at his doorstep, right? At his palace, which is outside of Jerusalem. Kind of over, kind of, kind of, in a sense, overlooking Jerusalem. Kind of like, hey, you know, 
look at me, look at I'm grand, I'm, I'm in control here. And they show up to his palace saying, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? <laughs> and you could see why Matthew puts it probably very understatedly. So all Jerusalem was stirred up <laughs> because of what was taking place, right? Herod's upset. The Jerusalem's like, what's going on here? <laughs> and you can see why then at the end of the story, these children are killed. And it's not recorded in history because, again, Herod did many things like this throughout his reign. This isn't an isolated incident. But we have this contrast between Herod as king, powerful, grand, rich, willing to use his power ruthlessly, and Jesus, born to a poor couple in Bethlehem, no announcement that Herod knew of. No power, not grand. He's, he's the one who's prophesied, right? I mean, even the, the, the people, the Jews in charge at Jerusalem, the Sadducees, etc., knew the prophecy. They knew where Jesus was going to be born, Bethlehem. And, and so the, the, one of the things you should walk away from this passage of Scripture remembering is things aren't always as they appear. In fact, in this world, things usually aren't as they appear. The powerful, the grand, the ruthless... They may look like they're in charge. They might like, look like they have everything under control. But actually, God is still on the throne. He is still ruling, and his word is still being accomplished. And the kingdom that this child is bringing is not about being grand, not about being rich, not about being ruthless, not about being powerful. As he comes and he's humble and meek and gentle. And, and so you have this, this contrast. Things aren't always as they appear, and yet God is at work. He, he quotes, in, in Matthew here, he quotes, uh, Out of Egypt I have called my son, and it's a quote from Hosea. Chapter 11, where it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to, the one, to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. 
and I bent down to them and fed them. He's using several metaphors here to say Israel thought, oh, I can get power, I can get wealth, I can get security through offering, uh, offering, idols, offering offerings to idols. I can pursue these idols and get what I want. And he's saying, you forgot. I, I called you out of Egypt. You were slaves and I called you out. I taught you to walk. It uses the metaphor for right with a child as they're as they're starting to walk. You hold their hands right, and you and you kind of they kind of toddle along, and and he's saying, I taught Israel how to walk, how to become a people, how to how to how to have security and love and peace, and they forgot I was holding their arms. He uses. Uh, he says, I led them with cords of kindness. I like, I, you know, like, you know, like, like you take a dog on a walk. Like, hey, let's go on a walk. And they're always going every other different direction. He says, I, I was, became to one, as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. Like, again, like, uh, like they're muzzled. They have no ability to, to, to feed themselves, to, to feel at peace. And he's, he's like, I, I bent down and fed them. I took off their yoke. When we're hurting, things aren't always as they appear. When things are going well, we can often forget why they're going well. And here, Matthew does this throughout these first few chapters. He keeps pointing back to the fact that this is fulfilling prophecy. This is fulfilling prophecy. What Christ's coming, the way he came, the, the manner he came... Even what happens here in Matthew 2 is all a picture and all ordained by God to demonstrate the kind of king that Jesus is. And as a community, as we think not just about Christmas, but as we think about 2022, where are we headed, where is the world headed what should we focus on? What should be important to us? We should also remember things aren't always as they appear. We can look around and see the world in chaos. We can see the economy you know, heating up and inflation increasing. We can see the, the devastation of covid and we should remember things aren't always as they appear. God is still on his throne, and there is a king who we're still waiting for, just like the Jews in Matthew and Luke. In fact, it's one of the emphasis throughout the New Testament, as you read through the epistles, the the. The emphasis is not just do the right thing. It's not just, hey, Christ died for you. The emphasis is much more actually on Christ is going to return. I just want to bring a, a different passages to mind as we think about this. I'm going to go to 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, and, and think this through a little bit. But let me just read several passages that, that point this out. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 11 says, The end of all things is at hand. It's like, 
We've got to understand here. Once Christ come, he's risen again from the grave, and he says he's coming back for us. This, this is the thing that, that, that history is pointing toward. This is where we're headed. Christ is going to return. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the focus in 1 Peter is he saying, hey, Christ is going to return. That should be the focus of our community. This is, this, as the church, what, what should our focus be? It should be on Christ's return. Some other verses that talk about this, James 5, verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He's saying, hey, be patient, the thing we're waiting for is the coming of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Again, the Lord is going to return soon. Verse Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. This is a new church, a young church. But he says, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's like, hey, Christ is going to return. You know this, and you know it's not something that you can, you can, you can predict like, oh, it's going to happen on Tuesday. It's going to happen like a thief in the night coming when you don't expect it. He goes on to say, verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Very similar to what First Peter says, right? The end of all things is at hand, therefore be Sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. He's saying to, to Timothy as a pastor, you know what, one of the things that should drive you is the return of Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, will, but having itching ears, that is, ears that, that are seeking their own desires, in a sense, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And even in First Peter it's almost like he bookends, the, he takes on each bookend of the book, you know, right? You got the hardback side on one side and the hardback on the other. One side is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, you know, okay, the end of all things at hand, be sober-minded. The beginning of the book is 1 Peter 1, 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I could go to many other passages in the New Testament. To say that the, the motivation for the church is not just, hey, Christ died for us. He rose again. He, he forgave, he's forgiven us. The motivation for the church is he's coming back soon.
And as a community, sometimes we can forget that, right? We can get caught up in what we need to get done. We can get caught up in even celebrating Christmas and we forget that the biggest thing we have to look forward to is not celebrating Christmas or celebrating Easter. It's not looking back. It's really looking forward. In fact, that's why the, the church overall moved worship from Saturday to Sunday, right? Because Christ rose from the dead and he is coming back. And if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to turn over there in your Bibles, you can. 1 Peter 4. What does that mean? Because it's, it's not, we're not so different from what the Jews were at and what Chris read in, in Luke chapter 2, waiting for the hope of Israel. We're not in such a different position. But we know who our king is. And we know what he's like. We know he's not grand and powerful and ruthless. He's gentle and humble, merciful and loving. He's the one who said, Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not interested in the grand. He's interested in the small. He's okay if you're just serving your neighbor, not if you're changing the world. He's okay if you're just loving your family and you're not saving everyone. Not because he's not trying to save everyone, but because he understands each of us have a role to play in the process. And that's why Paul, Peter here has written an entire book saying, hey, life won't go the way you expect, basically. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have difficulty in life. But... Keep your hope set fully on the grace that's going to come to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then here in 1 Peter chapter 4, again, he says, The end of all things is at hand. So how should we live if we are living for the hope of Christ's return? What should it, what should it look like? And he, he's pretty clear here. He's, he goes into more detail in other places throughout the book, but he summarizes it in some ways right here. He says, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now these two words here, be self-controlled, has the idea, and he's already talked about it in the previous paragraph, of, of, be, of be willing to deny yourself your desires. And... Uh, Verse 3, he says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He's like, that's how everyone else lives, but Christ is going to return. So we don't live the way everyone else lives. We live in light of his return, the joy of it. The delight of it, him finally setting things right. And so he says, therefore, for the sake of your prayers, like your dependence on God, you're asking God for help, you're asking God for guidance in a difficult world that, that doesn't go the way you expect. Be self-controlled and be sober-minded. The, the word there for sober-minded is just understand that this is serious. There, there are life and death consequences to how we live our lives. 
You can want the wrong things. You can definitely expect the wrong things. So pray soberly. Pray pray with the idea that, hey, this is, this is serious. Not that you can't have fun, but there are serious things at stake if Christ is going to return or when Christ returns, right? He's going to set things right. He's going to judge those who haven't trusted in him. So he, he, you notice what he doesn't do really is he doesn't be like, okay, Christ is going to return, so let's talk about the date. You know, like, it's going to happen in 2022, and here's 2022, 2,000 reasons why. You know what I mean? He doesn't talk about the date, right? He doesn't even talk necessarily about the signs. Now, other places, Matthew 24, Matthew talks about that there's going to be earthquakes, and there's going to be rumors of war, and there's going to be war, and there's going to be difficulties and heartaches. That's just part of life in what he's saying. But they're all, in a sense, signs that Christ is going to return, you know what? In that sense, we should look around us and we can see plenty of signs that Christ is going to return. <laughs> because there are plenty of things going wrong in our world. And so we pray. We don't sit back and be like, oh, there's nothing we can do. God's in control. We just got to take it, whatever happens. No, we pray. He's saying, pray with sober-mindedness, with self-control, saying, God, work, God, guide, God, direct, God, help. He wants us to pray. God is not so unconcerned about the suffering that we go through, not so, un, so unconcerned about the difficulties of our world and even the difficulties of living as Christians in our world that he doesn't want us to pray. He wants us to pray. He wants us to delight in going to him in prayer saying, God, I don't know how to handle this, but I know you're in control. I need help. God, there's, there's, this person over here is hurting they need your mercy and grace. We need to pray seriously because there are serious things at stake. The world we are going through is not just a matrix that can be re reset at any point in time. Like, it doesn't matter. Nor is it uh, just an, a loop where people die and they're reincarnated and they get to try again. People live, they die, and they face judgment. That's what the Bible says. And if that's true, then we have an opportunity in 2022, and Christ could return in 2022. He could not return for 200 more years. The point is we have the opportunity in 2022 to pray seriously, to say, look, Christ is going to return. It may be this year, so let's pray. But then he, the other thing, the other priority he puts on this is in verse 8. He says, above all, that is, here's your highest priority in a sense. Keep loving one another earnestly. Love earnestly. Give yourself to loving one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. In other places when it talks about the return of Christ, it says, that the love of many will grow cold. Not everybody's going to love God before Christ returns. But that also means that there's going to be plenty of sin 
plenty of heartache, plenty of broken relationships. And here it says, love earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. He goes on, he gets more specific here. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he's saying, welcome people into your lives. And isn't this one of the difficulties we've had with COVID, right? Is, is it's hard to know, okay, how do I welcome people into my lives sometimes? He's saying here at least, don't give up at trying to figure that out. <laughs> don't give up at, at, at saying, you know what? People are worth loving. People are worth welcoming into my life. People are worth encouraging, not because they're worth it, but because this is serious and Christ is going to return and I need to show hospitality without grumbling, right? Now, my kids, you know, before, you, you probably, it wasn't just your, sometimes it's just your family for Christmas, I get that, but a lot of times, at some point in the process, it's not just your family, it's extended family, right? I, we went over to my sister's house for Christmas, so she had the, the responsibility and privilege of welcoming us into her home, you know, on Christmas Eve, and I'm sure her kids probably grumbled a little bit at having to clean up because mine crumbled when we had to clean up our house, right? There's that extra work involved, right? That sense of this, this, this taking more effort than I really wish it would. And yet he's saying here, love one another earnestly by showing hospitality without grumbling. Don't, don't make it, don't grumble about this. This is important. This is, this is essential, in a sense, that we love one another earnestly and welcome people into our lives. He goes on to say, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's great, very grace. Whether you're speaking, realize God is using you to speak. If you're if you're serving, realize God's giving you strength to serve. Realize that this is Here's the thing. We can look around us and we can see all the problems in the world. We can see all the difficulties of the world. We can see all the, the ravages of sin and disease and, and death in our world. I get that. But you can also look around and see that God is at work in our world. That God is, is, is doing things. And they're not the grand things. They're not the wealthy things. Those are the... That's a... That's a Herodian approach to life. What Christ does as king is he comes in and he shows hospitality without grumbling. It's a small thing. It's not grand. And frankly, when you do it right, no one notices. It's the small things, it's the quiet things, it's the gentle things, it's the meek things. Because that's the kind of king that we serve. And that's the kind of king that is coming back for us. So, things aren't as they appear. Don't go to CNN or Fox News 
or ABC News and think, oh, that's the picture of the real world. <laughs> it's not. The picture of the real world is found right here. The end of all things is at hand. <laughs> Christ is going to return. We don't know exactly when. But we do know we have a God who's on a throne, who keeps his word, keeps his promises. And that's why in Matthew, he says, look at how God kept his promises through Christ's first coming. And there's so many more prophecies about his second coming. God is going to keep his word. Therefore, we go to him in prayer. Pray seriously. Don't treat prayer as an add-on. Treat prayer as an essential. And love earnestly. Because it matters. We have the joy and privilege of loving people, not because ultimately they're worth it, but because Christ died for them and he's going to come back for them and we want to, we want to rejoice with them at his return. So let our priority our focus as a community going forward be Christ is going to return. That's a great thing. <laughs> because I don't like living in all this death. I don't like living in all this destruction and hatred and sin. But Christ is going to set things right. And so I can pray to the God who will set things right. <laughs> and say, God, help God, I need help. I need help, right? You need help, don't you? In the situations you're going through and the, the, the things you need wisdom for and the, the relationships you're trying to manage and, and encourage and help, you need help. So pray and pray seriously. Consider this is important. Pray seriously. Love earnestly. It's good to love others. It's good to show hospitality. It's good to serve. It's good to speak. Because God is at work. And we have the privilege of entering into his work by loving earnestly as God loved us. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, Christ gave, showed us that love for us, right? He went to the cross. He covered our sins in his love for us. So let us love and love earnestly and not, not get caught up in everything everyone else is doing and the parties and the, everything else they, they do. Not that having fun is bad. But let's keep the priority the priority. Christ is going to return. So pray seriously, love earnestly, and look forward to his return. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you aren't going to leave us in this mess. And sometimes the mess seems endless and irreparable. And frankly, it is unless you repair it. But Lord, we thank you that you have promised to come and repair it, to set things right, to cleanse the world of evil, to restore us, to heal us. Israel didn't get it. They, 
they kept going to other things, but we, we know who our Redeemer is. And one day he will stand on the earth. We look forward to that day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.